everybody, and welcome to Flavor Text, a podcast where we examine the stories in Arkham Horror, the card game, scenario by scenario, and how they align with the gameplay. Uh, I'm Krabby Terror Eight, and I'm joined as usual by Kevling. Hi, Kevling. How are you? I'm fine, thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'm I, I, I'm looking at these people on Facebook who have their edge of the earth investigator sets and feeling very jealous. Oh, that would be me then. Yes. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, you got you got your mine's all jewel. sleeved, filed, everything sleeved and filed. Right. Wow. Okay. I even used some of the cards in a game this week. Right. Oh. Okay. So um, I didn't I, did, I didn't quite go as far as building a deck. I don't feel that confident no. yet. Uh, but I, I yeah. bunged a few cards into an existing deck that I played on in the blog right. event. Oh, wow. That's fantastic. How are the new cards? Good. Um. Yes. I. I. I basically, I've got a deck I was planning to use for a repeat of a blob event that I'd helped run the previous week and hadn't been able to join. Um, and so I'd got a deck I was planning to play, and then the, obviously Edge of the Earth dropped, and I was playing Ursula, and I, I decided to try out that new permanent card that lets you increase your deck size by 15, but then you draw two and discard one each round. Oh, right. So I, basically, I just did it as a way of getting some extra toys out. Uh, mm. I built uh, a 29 XP deck, so I'd, mm. I was originally hoping it would help me avoid weaknesses, but of course, they would not be so kind. Um, mm. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, it let me just let me put a few of the new toys in, um, quite a few of the, uh, the new multi-class cards, like Pocket Telescope was quite handy been able to check out what unrevealed locations were before you went there and things like nice. that. Hiking boots were good, but I didn't manage to get them into play because uh, I, I, I had one of those epic moments that never, ever happens. I used deciphered reality and managed to get eight clues in a single turn. Whoa. I, I, and then I said, right, that's it, everyone. I'm going to sell my collection. This can never be tops. <laughs> <laughs> I'm off. Count me out for the rest of the scenario. <laughs> that's it. I'm done. <laughs> it's never going to get better than that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Oh, I, 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 I don't. I'm not too familiar with the cards as yet. But I was just thinking. I just, I just finished recording uh, Harvey Walters for the Investigator Games, and I'm thinking that permanent where you draw cards and things would be perfect for for his his deck because uh, he uh, he draws an extra card if he draws a card. All right, so he'd be drawing three every turn then. Yeah, and he has cards that um, you know usually put cards in his deck to expand your your hand size as well. But if that permanent does that for you, then you can free up some space for, for other things. So that's really mm. good. Wow. Okay, there we go. So there we go. It sounds like we're more of a, we're more podcasting about <laughs> about <laughs> cards. <laughs> Welcome to Flavortex, a podcast about. The cards. Um, that's that's brilliant. But we we have a we we have a uh, uh, in some ways less enjoyable task to focus on today. But I suppose yes. Before, yes. <laughs> um, I'm just trying to think. Do we need to do any? We don't really need to do any spoilers, do we? Everybody knows what we're doing. They know we're on the Dunwich Legacy. There, we know that we're going to do now. everything. Everybody should know by now. So, um, where where did we where did we get to uh, last time? I'm just trying to remember. We were doing Blood on the Altar, weren't we? That's where we we, we got were. To. Yes, and we we really enjoyed that one and the um, the various combinations of setup and how the randomness leads to lots of different options and. It can play out quite differently, whereas 
I think the randomness is a bit more of a hindrance on this one we're about to discuss, isn't it? Yes, and um, I, I, I think it's 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 no uh, it's no secret that this is not there's not many people out there on in internet world who who uh, would proclaim this is one of their favorite scenarios uh, i think we just put it out there at the start that uh, people don't like this scenario very much and uh, i don't think we did that much either did we, we no we had no it did it seemed to start off okay but when we were did our practice run last week it went downhill very quickly didn't it 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 it, it did and um and i think uh i, I think having reflected on it and and just uh, thought about the scenario. Uh, I, I can see there's just some things about it that uh, are challenging, but also challenging and fun. Most scenarios in Arkham Horror, the living card game, are, are challenging, and it's good that they are. But and they're fun. But this one, uh, I think, doesn't feel very fun. And I'm just trying to. I think we'll obviously talk about it. What what makes that difference? Uh, and what what makes it a bit less fun, I suppose. Um, mm. Yes. So, yes, this one's not 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 going to be a lot of love in this particular <laughs> podcast. The beginning of Undimension Unseen is sort of pretty much almost immediately after um, after the previous one. Uh, so there's not there's not like a sort of a lapse of time or anything like that. No, no. But, and basically the the introduction is around the idea that you go searching the village. Why you would we've already a bit of a strange thing. It's like you search your search of the village of Dunwich has uncovered a number of documents and journal entries and esoteric theories. So that's nice. They're linking it that way and saying you found a whole lot of stuff. And basically, Seth Bishop is the uh, is the culprit. Uh, so yes. that gets called out immediately. He's a minor character in the original Dunwich horror, but he now is the sort of the main, you know, antagonist. He's the one who's caused, uh, you know, all the horrible things to happen. And it tells you that. So uh, you don't have to find that out. It tells you that. Uh, and um, basically, as you're doing that, suddenly the villagers come racing to you. And it's the same thing again. They're sort of invisible monsters rampaging around the area, leaving huge tracks and destroying housing and killing people, essentially. And so the way it sort of sets it up is that the villagers are like, it's back! And, you know, whatever it was that killed them fries, it's back! And smashed up the bishop's home like it were made of paper, that kind of thing. So this is very much like a replay of what happens in the uh, Dunwich Horror uh, all over again. So we're back, we're back where we were, we, where that story was. And essentially, I don't understand this, Kevling. That we can calm the townsfolk down, or we can tell them to evacuate. Um, I, 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 but I'm not really sure. Apart from being a slightly different story beat, I'm not really sure. If that does anything, I couldn't find anything, and maybe I missed it. What does it make a difference? Basically, anything it affects is the epilogue. Oh, the epilogue. something in the epilogue right. about it. Ah, right, yeah, right, right. In the epilogue at the very, very end. Yeah, so ah. it doesn't affect any of the scenarios. Okay, it's okay, more okay, just okay. Right. Ah, yes. you're right. If you calm the townsfolk, you get epilogue one. And if you warn the townsfolk, you get epilogue two, which is interesting because most people never survive long enough to get to the epilogue. <laughs> so you just, you just never know. But so that's, I suppose that's nice that they, 
you know, they put something in that, that has a payoff, if you like. Yes. Quite yeah. a way down the track. But essentially, uh, in terms of making those choices at this stage, it doesn't make a big difference in terms of what they say. It's pretty much the same thing, really. It doesn't change anything about the scenario we're about to face or any of the scenarios we're about to face. A little bit of a bookend on the story. <laughs> Basically, yeah. the monsters are rampaging and there's something about some spray or something or powder that you can yeah. use. And, and that's... Yeah, there's a lot of mess and we can't see anything. <laughs> so um, so that that's the sort of setup. It's pretty... It's fairly straightforward. There's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of exposition. There's not a lot of discussion because it pretty much just you know goes on from from the previous scenario. So it's relatively quick, and then you're in the setup uh, for this um, scenario. So then the actual setup itself. Then mm. um, so like I said, this is where the randomness begins. Um, so there are six locations um yep. and basically for each of those six locations there are two different versions of them so the first thing we do is we take one of those um one of each of the locations out of play mm. and then we remove one location so we've got a possible combination of five lo- two different versions of five locations out of six if that makes sense mm. and mm-hmm. yes uh, my brain's not doing the maths on that but yes I've got two <laughs> yeah. times yeah whatever yes yeah. yes uh so um we'll we'll talk about the individual locations in a bit but then yeah. the other um, the other element of the setup is depending on how well we did on the previous scenario mm. um we need to check our campaign log to see how many people were sacrificed to Yogg-Sothoth so oddly if there's three names listed it's actually you're better off because you're only going to be facing three Exactly. So this is the weird thing about this setup, and it's actually something that people have talked about, is that it's counterintuitive because if you have done really well in Blood on the Altar and you've saved everybody, so in other words, there are one or no names sacrificed to Yogg-Sothoth, you have all of the broods, you have two of the broods actually on the table, rampaging around on locations. You have one in Cold Spring Glen and one at Blasted Heath, and the other three are actually there waiting to join. So the weird yeah. thing is you get you actually you actually get um you you get penalized for doing really well on Blood on the Altar. <laughs> it's almost as though they think actually you're not doing really well. We're gonna help you out here. We'll make this one a bit easier for you because you're obviously struggling. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know, but the problem is when I thought about this, first of all, it's not rewarding people who have done well because it's making it really, really difficult, not based on numbers. You know, normally, you know, based on the number of people in the party, it, the difficulty changes. But this yeah. is making it really difficult purely because you've you've done well. And this made me think, actually, you might be better off letting all the people be sacrificed at Blood on the Altar. You know what I mean? You start thinking, am I better off gaming it, letting, letting everyone get sacrificed on Blood on the Altar? So I start this, in, it's much simpler. Do you know what I mean? Like or the other actually alternative, might... as you suggested on our playthrough, is you just resign in turn one. <laughs> That's right, and a lot of people do that. But weirdly, it could lead to a situation where once you know the scenarios, and this is not the way the story would play out, you know, this would make sense from yes. a story perspective, but if you wanted to actually do quite well in Undimensions Unseen, you're better off letting people die because... Mm. 
you will have an easier time of it, which is not well, so it doesn't, intended. It doesn't seem to work sure. narratively either, does it? No, Surely it the more people that got sacrificed to Yogg-Soth off, the more powerful and yes. more multiplied the evil forces would become. You wouldn't yes. face few of the, fewer of them. Yes. Now, um, unless they're yes. occupied, and then maybe the other broods are occupied, consuming the ones that have been sacrificed, perhaps. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to put yeah. A, put a narrative spin on it there. <laughs> yeah. Well, actually, someone commented, uh, Anna Physic, I think, uh, commented that if you don't, if people aren't sacrificed, then the broods are kind of frenzied and looking for for, for food type yeah. of idea. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't say that anywhere, but it, it kind of it. It's, there's two problems with it. One is it doesn't reward success. And most of the times in most Arkham Horror card game scenarios, you get a benefit from succeeding. You know what I mean? Mm. In this case, it's the opposite. If you've done really well, you're going to be really slammed in, in this scenario. And like you say, you're probably better off just resigning and moving on. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, but also, like you say, from a narrative story perspective, that's kind of, it's hard to square the circle from that perspective because in a story sense, if you've done really well and you've saved everybody, then you'd have more people in the party and, 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 and so therefore you're more likely to succeed, you know, from a story perspective. So, I, I guess mm. I guess they were probably trying to do what you said, which is to help people who weren't doing so well. But I think it kind of has it kind of has unintended consequences. I think. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if it came up during playtesting that people who had a really hard time in Blood in the Altar, and then they went into yeah. this, and it was hard as well. Yeah, and it was really demoralizing, affecting the story in the wrong way, but just to improve. The player experience now. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think I think it, it causes a lot of I mean, it's one of the reasons people kinda of hate on this scenario is for that reason, is that it feels like you're being punished for doing well. Um so this is not for you know, from a from a play perspective. And there's yes, not really yes. there's not really, like you say, a narrative justification for it. So it's not like, you know, if you if you've you know if you, one or fewer names have been sacrificed, something like the broods are going crazy with no sacrifices. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. That's all it needed. Just a sentence. It's not as if there was short of space on the page. Look, there's a whole bottom yeah. corner of the page completely empty. They've got plenty of space. <laughs> yeah. So um, so that that that's that's that for me was just uh, yeah uh, yeah kind of doesn't quite yeah. quite work. Yeah. Anyway. And in terms of the rest of the setup, we all get an extra uh, weakness at that point, madness, injury, or pact weakness. You set aside the esoteric formula. If you have the powder of Ibn Ghazi, then you put it in your deck. You put it in play uh, and you start with it in play. Um, so that's that. That's your added bonus from the previous scenario, uh, which, as we found, is odd that they don't include that standalone-wise, but I guess mm. it makes sense that you haven't had that conversation or discovery previously yes exactly but in yeah but then again how did you get here and why are you looking for these creatures <laughs> yes so it's it's a little bit like it's a little bit like blood on the altar in the sense that you've got these random locations uh yeah. and and there's there's sort of the two versions of everything so you've got 
you've got these other versions which sit aside, which do play a role actually in the game, quite an important role in sorry in this particular scenario as well. So it's not like you set them aside and just ignore them. They do they do have a role to play as well. So yeah, so you've got these six locations. They're all randomised, random pairs. Uh, and then the other mechanic that gets introduced in this one is the idea of random movement. So yes. uh, we'll be facing the the uh, the boys, the broods of Yogg-Sothoth, <laughs> uh, and they will move in a random location. Uh, yep. So what they... It, it's, it's quite a nice mechanic, actually. They suggest you put the versions of the locations you aren't using, you set them aside as your mm. sort of random selector deck. So you just shuffle yep. that, that deck to reveal a random card to determine where they are going to move to, which is quite nice, because otherwise you'd probably be faffing around with dice and all sorts. Yeah, it is a it is a nice... And I guess what they're trying to do is, um, you know, give the broods their own way of moving around, but also they're supposed to be invisible and they're supposed to be, you know, you, don't, you can't necessarily know where they are. So it, it's mm-hmm. putting a sort of a level of unpredictability into, into their movement as well. Um, because you never quite know where they're going to move to. And as you said when we were playing last week, you do have to suspend your disbelief somewhat because we, as the game players, can quite clearly see where the broods are because they have cards and they are moving around and we are physically moving them ourselves. But we've got to pretend we don't know they're there. Yes. <laughs> we can't exactly. see them. <laughs> yes. It's a bit, bit bit hard to play with invisible creatures when you actually have to move the invisible creatures around. So. <laughs> <laughs> And these broods are are, are no pushovers. Uh, interestingly, they're not elite, but they are um, they are no pushovers by any any stretch of the imagination. Yeah, the fact that they're not elite does actually help out in some areas because there are some cards that help you deal with them quite easily. It's yes. just uh, they they are still tough fellas, aren't they? With their six fight, yeah, six fight, and then their health is. Is, does ramp up with the number of people, so it's going to be between two and uh, five, five, I suppose. Yeah, um, but yeah. the problem is five doesn't, and and they've got three evasion, so they're not too bad. But the, the main thing is, is you can't damage them except using the esoteric formula. So uh, you can't yeah, use conventional think, weapons. Yeah, I think that's where the likes of Waylay have become quite popular in this scenario for the Survivor class, because that lets you evade yep. and defeat a um, a non-elite monster uh, with just two evade tests. Yeah, exactly. In fact, on Arkham DB, you probably saw it too, right? There's there's a, a lengthy uh, list of um, cards that you can use to to deal with the broods. There's things like Mind Wipe, for example. That, that uh, sort yeah. of take away all the uh, all, all the the text, and there's I'll see you in hell, and there's the disc of it's it's Amna level two. There's all kinds of ways uh, to actually deal with them. The problem with that again is that if you know that, then you would leave blood on the altar, and you could sort of game your deck in yes. ways to kind of. Which again is not to do with the story; it's just to do with then dealing with the broods. Again, it's that's not ideal. You don't really want people just putting cards into their deck just to kind of deal with this one, you know, monster in one scenario yeah, yeah. kind of thing. It's it's not ideal, really. Okay, so we've got these broods moving around in these different um, locations, and they can only be attacked using the esoteric formula. So. Um, should we 
Should we talk about the locations themselves because they're they're quite interesting? Yes, yeah. Um, so as we said, there's a different pairing of, of each location, so random choice of one or the other. Mm. Um, I don't know what order you want to do this. I've got them. I've got the cards laid out in front of me in alphabetical order. Oh, I also have my notes. How do you want to do this? Oh, <laughs> just 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 choose one, Kevling. Just okay. choose one. Blasted and, uh... Heath first. Then let's go with Blasted Heath. We'll go with alphabetical. So, given the name of the uh, the podcast, we ought to do the flavour text. <laughs> yeah. The summits are too rounded and symmetrical to give a sense of comfort and naturalness, and sometimes the sky silhouettes with a special clearness the queer circles of tall stone pillars with which most of them are crowned. So that's mm. another quote from the Dunwich Horror. Yes, it's nice. It's it's really nice the way they keep... It's one of the best things is that they keep linking it to the... You know, every... You know, the location is not just some dreamed-up location. <laughs> They've actually taken the time to find these locations. And I think I think every location has a has a Dunwich Horror quote on it, doesn't it? Yeah, great. It's great. And this is typical Lovecraft. You know that. How long is that sentence? And actually, listening to it, I still don't know quite what it means. <laughs> I have to read it again because then that's that's Lovecraft all over. He loves these sort of overdone kind of sentences that kind of leave you going, "Oh, what? I better read that one again." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this yeah. is no exception. Yeah, yeah, brilliant, Blasted Heath. Yeah. So, um, in terms of the two different versions of Blasted Heath, there are, mm. as I, well, there are two. Obviously, um, one is a three shroud, two clue location mm. with the a forced effect of at the end of your turn if you're here take a damage uh, with a uh, flavour text of a dense yellow mist like a terrible miasma permeates through this region it crawls around your skin and causes your lungs to tighten so I guess that explains why you will be taking damage if you stay there too long but then the other version is four shroud and three clues and then as a in a player window action you can lure the creature into a patch of sand investigators in blasted heath may as a group place up to two of their clues on an abomination enemy in blasted heath group limit once per game and the flavor text there is the ground here is loose and barely supports your weight so uh, basically you're you're luring the creature into sand so obviously you can you can actually see its footprints i guess is the is the narrative there yeah. and uh, you can uh, you can attack it because you finally know where exactly where it is. Where it is. And you're putting clues on it, so the clues help, because the esoteric formula, you get plus two willpower for each clue on the attacked enemy. So essentially, you're adding four willpower if you put two of your clues uh, on. So you're, you're really helping, you know, because they're six yes. fights, so you would need... Yeah, it's really helping from that perspective. Yeah, no, I was going to say each of these, loca- almost all of these locations are in a similar pattern, really. One of them will give you an option of mm. helping you defeat the boys, whereas mm. the other one will either be a positive or negative effect on you. We'll probably talk about it later, but when we had our random our, our playthrough last weekend, I think we drew almost all of the locations that didn't give you any benefit on, on attacking yes. the, the brood. So yes. we really, really struggled. We had, we had very limited. I think we only had two locations. I think that let us put clues on, and 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 the and due to the randomness, they just weren't going there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but but yeah, it's it's an important point to make uh, because they are really quite different. A number of them. Um, now I've got uh, Cold Spring Glen here, 
okay. and this this has the flavor text gold he gasped i tell them not to go down into the glen and i never thought nobody drew it to them tracks and that smell and the whippoorwills and screeching down there on noonday oh jeez, this is hp lovecraft trying to kind of yeah so so what what accent was that Roman? <laughs> that sounded a uh, god knows what that was uh, i was it, it I've I've heard I've heard this I've heard this on audio and it's and it should be an American accent. I don't know what I did then. That was something. I think there was a bit different. of Cornwall, a bit of Norfolk. <laughs> it's a bit of everything. It was a totally. It, it, it was an abomination. That's what it was. <laughs> <laughs> I'll place two clues on it to help me deal with that later. <laughs> uh, um, and and again, yeah, the nice link to the Danish horror. And uh, again, these two are quite different. Uh, one of them is a two shroud with no clues on it. Uh, each nice. enemy, yeah, each enemy at Cold Spring Glen gets minus one evade. Okay, so easy to evade. It has a reaction trigger after Cold Spring Glen is chosen as a random location. An investigator in Cold Spring Glen tests three uh, agility. If successful, choose a different random location. So basically, that's saying that if a if you were doing that because a brood was going to move to Cold Spring Glen, you can actually stop it from moving to Cold Spring Glen, basically. Yeah, and then you've got a bit of flavor text there that gives you the narrative as to why that works. The thick shadows and crowded trees make these woods a good hiding place. So you can hide out there. There's no benefit in this location because you can't throw clues on. So you exactly. may as well hide and encourage the uh, the boys to go elsewhere. Yes, the the other one is a three shroud that has two clues. Each enemy gets the minus one evade again. This has a player fast player window here that you can lure again, a bit like the other one. You can lure the creature into the dense tree cover. It becomes tangled, and then you can put two of your clues as a group on the abomination and make a group limit once per game. So that's Cold Spring Glen. Oh, we get no narrative on that one. No flavor. No, obviously there's not enough room or something. Oh, you know, maybe just they could have put something like, oh dear, HP Lovecraft. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Right, so next we have Devil's Hop Yard, another Lovecraft quote. Still others try to explain the Devil's Hop Yard, a bleak, blasted hillside where no tree, shrub, or grass blade will grow. Mm. Yes. So again, we've got two different versions. Uh, yep. We have a one shroud fixed, two lo uh, clues. And as a fast action, you can lure the creature into the thick fog. An investigator in Devil's Hop Yard may place up two of his clues, blah, blah, blah. Group. So, uh, no narrative again, no flavor text on that one. And then the other one is two shroud, but one clue per investigator. Uh, play a window action, the creature follows you into the mud. Each investigator in Devil's Hop Yard may place one of his clues. One of his clues. So the other one's two clues, this one's one clue. So that's the only pairing of locations I think where both versions yeah. let you lob clues onto the onto the monsters. I don't understand why they just didn't make them both about the mud, which kind of fit fits with Devil's Hopyard. Why one had to be about thick fog, and one's uh oh I guess two clues versus one clue. So they're trying to sort of say yeah. that the mud isn't quite as effective as the thick fog or something. Yeah, and I uh, guess that and there's um. There is some flavour text on the uh, mud version about a recent downpour has made the hop yard muddy and difficult to slog through. Whereas, so I guess that's the idea of having different versions of the locations, even though they will both help you in your fight. They help you in different ways based on 
the current circumstances, I guess. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, and then I've got here 10 acre meadow. The trees of the frequent forest belts seem too large and the wild weeds, brambles and grasses attain a luxuriance not often found in settled regions. At the same time, the planted fields appear singularly few and barren. This is quite a variable area, isn't it? It's got devil's hop yards <laughs> and blasted heaths and 10-acre meadows. <laughs> so these ones, are uh, again, we've got different versions. There's a three-shroud with just one clue location with a fast action. You can lure the monster into the, into the rain, place a clue from the token bank uh, on an abomination enemy. Uh, and then at the end of the round, remove the clue from that enemy. So it's only a kind of a one-off thing. Uh, but you can still do that once a game. You can't do it once a you know round or once or something, once per investigator. And then the other one is two shroud with three clues. Play a window. Uh, you set a bait using a live animal. Each investigator at 10 Acre Meadow would place one of his clues on an abomination enemy. So 10 Acre Meadow doesn't seem to be a great place to <laughs> put clues on abominations generally. Uh, yeah. No, and obviously I was wrong on that previous location. This is the second location where both versions let you put clues on the abomination. So I think it's just those two. I probably proved wrong on the next card. <laughs> and uh, no I'm... flavor text at all on those. There we go. No, nothing. That's oh. quite disappointing. Hmm. Right, uh, it's me again now, isn't it? Mm-hmm. So Dunwich Village I've got next. Yeah. It's always a relief to get clear of the place and to follow the narrow road around the base of the hills and across the level country beyond till it rejoins the Aylesbury Pike. Afterwards, one sometimes learns that one has been through Dunwich. <laughs> so it's like it... it, it it has absolutely no impression on your mind at all as you go through. Yeah, yeah. You don't even realise it was it's there. It's there, yes. And, and it's the kind of place you wouldn't want to stop at anyway. Yeah. And this is the area you would start at. So both versions of this card have the resign action of you hide from the creatures. Uh, version one is three shroud, one clue. Uh, as a player window action, you can borrow some hounds to track the creatures by scent. And that is an investigator may place one of his or her clues on any abomination in play once per game. And the other version is two shroud, three clues. Uh, as, as an action, you can move a brood of Yogg-Sothoth enemy once towards Dunwich Village. And then we have the flavour text that explains that ringing the church bell may draw the monsters toward the village if you are brave enough to face them. So this is an example of where you can have some impact or influence over where the broods move you if you're in a, a multiplayer game you could literally have one person who just stays in Dunwich Village and just helps to sort of guide this way the, you bring them this way yeah yes right <laughs> yes. you could okay. have one yeah one person in um wherever it was was it uh is it Cold Spring Glen? I can't make it. One yeah, person yeah. saying, go away from this area, and the other person going, no, come this way. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's about the only control you're going to have on them. And then the final location is the Watley Ruins. It was as though a house launched by an avalanche had slid down through the tangled growths of the almost vertical slope. I love that description. <laughs> And yeah, it looks like it is ruined. The, the the Watley ruins is indeed very ruined. Looking at the yeah, picture, they're not underselling it, are they? In that no, name? <laughs> no, it's a real fixer upper, as they say in real estate. 
Um, and this again, we have the sort of harder and easier version. The harder version is three shroud, two clues per investigator. Each investigator at Watley Runes does get minus one, which, you know, is a problem in this, this particular game. Minus one willpower. There isn't a fast investigator window. You hurl a nearby canister of paint at the monster. So someone was clearly trying to uh, fix it up. Uh, Kevling because there was paint there <laughs> so someone was trying anyway uh, paint at the monster An investigator in Watley Ruins may place up to three of his or her clues wow mm. on the abomination enemy and the easier version is two shroud two clues per investigator so Watley Ruins is quite generous with clues uh, each yeah. investigator at Watley Ruins again minus one willpower you can test for intellect if you are successful, move a brood of yogs off that enemy one location, any direction. So again, you could use, particularly if you had high intellect, I'm not sure how, oh, maybe it explains why, but yes, you could use that because I think in the text it says the ancient arcane tomes found within the Watley ruins hold the secrets to manipulating the monsters. So in other words, you know, you're someone like a Harvey Walters, you, you're looking at them and you're managing to make the monsters move around for you a bit more. Mm. So there you go. Well, the, why so you that, can't take the book with you and do the same effect anywhere, <laughs> I don't know. Yes, yeah, that's a really, really good point. Yes. So there we go. They're quite different, um, quite variable, um, what the locations do, uh, much more so than we've seen. I mean, we've seen some differences like, uh, which was at the Miskatonic Museum, you know, there were some differences uh, in locations, but this is these are really quite different. So like you say, you, you know, when we did it, we just found that the combination we got wasn't ideal. Um, yeah, I think it was the worst possible combination. Yeah, I think. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this this is quite a punishing scenario. So you can, you know, just just through, you know, just through just happening happening to get locations which don't quite, you know, give you the opportunity to put clues on, and that kind of thing. And it's not really offset. It's not like oh, you're getting opportunity to put clues on, but the alternative is allowing you to control the broods much more specifically so it doesn't feel like such a trade-off it feels like the best thing that you can get in every circumstance is the ability to throw clues onto the broods and then there also there are a few treacheries in the deck that affect the brood as well um one of there's the creature's tracks you can either choose to take two horror or you spawn another one of the brood uh, there's attracting attention each brood moves once towards you Two of those. Ruin and destruction. If there are no investigators at the same location as one of the brood, it gains surge. Otherwise, you have to do an evade test. And for each point you fail by, you take a damage. And then the worst one <laughs> is the one, the towering beast that you attach to the brood to basically boost its fight and health. And you take a damage while you do it as well. Yes. And they, so, yeah. and they can stack, and they can stack. So you can yes, have like four found. of them. <laughs> I did. I did read online. Someone had four of them on one of the brews <laughs> or something. Uh, and you know what? I think from a story perspective, that all works. I mean, I can. You know, they kind of the brews have a life of their own, a mind of their own. They move around as they want. Um, from a story perspective, it's great. From a gameplay perspective, it makes it really, really rough. Yeah, so um, so there we are. So we've got these locations which we might, you know, you could draw to be, you know, helpful or perhaps less so. You've got these rampaging broods. So, and the other thing is that we can't start by dealing with the broods. 
<laughs> that's not even if there are broods on the table you can't actually deal with them right off the bat can you no no <laughs> i mean narratively we don't know where they are do we because they're invisible that's true exactly <laughs> so before you can even start to take them on you have to actually uh get through the first act <laughs> Yes, yes, we've got to get to what the ruins first, haven't we? That's right. So there's the Act 1A, which which sort of shows this picture of something sort of rampaging around. Um, it says, the monsters tearing through Dunwich County are immune to traditional weapons. So there you go, you can't use traditional weapons. Only by reciting a particular incantation can the creatures be defeated. First, you must search the ruins of Wilbur Watley's home in order to find the final sections of the otherworldly script. This feels a bit mean to me. You've, it, they've already said at the beginning of this scenario that you've spent this time. You you search your search of the village of Dunwich has uncovered a number of documents, journal entries, and esoteric theories. And not only that, the other thing that's a bit strange about this Kevling is that this is the Dunwich legacy. So the same people. Um, and a lot of the time you are going to have some of those people with you, the allies, have done this before. This is not like it's brand new to them. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yet it's saying all the searching you've already done in Blood on the Altar and all of the allies that you have that had to experience this in the first fight, that doesn't mean anything. You've still got to search uh, again uh, Watley's home again. For something yeah, before you can they, even unless start. Unless they've been sacrificed, you've got them with you as well. You've exactly. got those allies with you who have been through the story. E- exactly. So uh, the problem with it is, is that it doesn't quite, it doesn't quite fit. It doesn't quite make sense from that perspective, and it feels a bit mean that it makes you find two clues. Uh, no, no, two clues per investigator is not very much. I know. But it's making you, and you have to get to the Watley ruins. So you've got to, you know, you've got to waste probably, what, at least a couple of turns getting there and getting that done before you can even start taking on the broods. However, in most scenarios, the broods will already be on the table rampaging around. And I guess from a story perspective, that makes sense. They're rampaging around. You're trying to work out what to do. But from a gameplay sense, it really sets you back. I'll do the agenda. Rampaging creatures. So, and this is pretty straightforward. And to be honest, we've already talked about it. Reports of terrifying entities wreaking havoc across the countryside have caused the citizens of Dunwich to panic. Worse, the creatures seem to be invisible to the naked eye. And the forced effect is at the end of each enemy phase, move each brood once towards a random location. So, yeah, we've already touched on that, really, haven't we? There's no real change there. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and so you've got sort of five. Essentially, you've got five turns before that the agenda flips, and then once that agenda flips, you—that's yeah. when another, you know. Yeah, another brood will come out. Yeah, yeah, and in most, it, yeah, yeah, and it's unlikely. In fact, I'd say it's almost impossible that you would have dealt with the first brood by then. So, you could have up to three broods, like if you. If you did well in Blood on the Altar, you would already have two broods on the table. So if you've done well in Blood on the Altar, the likelihood is you're going to have three broods to deal with. Yes. Yeah. Uh, which, you know, <laughs> that's a lot to again, deal with. depending on how the random locations turn out, depends yeah. on how effectively you will be able to deal with yeah, those. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and I mean, it's it's not just that in the sense that you know, what what it says, I mean, obviously on the back of Act 1 is it's, you know, 
it's that you you then have the esoteric formula, right? So now that was I got confused about this esoteric formula, Kevlin, because I thought it was like a jar with liquid in it, and then I realised oh, it, it, it's not. It's it's an incantation. Why did they call it esoteric? Why did they call it esoteric incantation? I wonder why they called Good it point. esoteric formula. But once you've got that, and again, there's this weird thing in the text that if Doctor Armitage is with you. There, Armitage sighs a breath of relief, jotting down the last phases of the formula. I've translated the last of it. He shudders as he hands you the script, the words conjuring forth memories of his battle with the creature. Wouldn't you already know that? I mean, they did this before. <laughs> they, they, they dealt with the broods last time. Why all of a sudden doesn't he know what to do? Is it sort of different this time? <laughs> Uh, I, I, so I, I, I don't quite understand why they're kind of like, wouldn't Armitage already kind of, obviously if Armitage isn't there, then that makes more sense that you would have to transcribe stuff and that you wouldn't know what things were. But Yeah, that's the, the second option, isn't it? Yeah, it? yeah. So you have this esoteric incantation, really. It's not a formula in a sense. And um, then that allows you to deal with the, the broods as long as the people in your party have reasonable willpower. If you happen to be playing solo and playing with a low um, willpower person or even two of you, you you're pretty stuffed. You, you, yes, you might as well resign. <laughs> yeah, time <laughs> really. to take advantage of that handy resign option. Because it, that's the other thing about this scenario is that you need high willpower. You need at least one high willpower um, investigator, you know, a mystic. You know, he can bring out the Holy Rosary and the whole bit and can kind of really do that. Or you're going to need a ton of um, guts. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it it, it, yeah, it yeah. really it really does rely on you having a party with high willpower. Otherwise, you might as well just resign because you're just not going to, you're just not going to get there. Um, mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the other option, as you touched on, is if Dr. Armitage wasn't there, then you basically have to do the transcribing yourself, which takes time, and so we have to stick a doom on the agenda. But then the other thing that annoys me about this scenario as well is when you move on to Act 2A, objective, yes. defeat as many brood as you can, if there are no copies in play or set aside, advance. Now, obviously, at the start of the game, there'll be potentially one in play and a couple set aside, but they only come into play either through a treachery or as the agenda advances. So there's actually there's no way of trying to get this scenario done quickly. You've got to wait for the brood to come out so you can then defeat them, which is another frustration, I think. Um, if it was just defeat what defeat the ones that are in play, then I think that might make it more manageable. Yeah, I mean, I've played this scenario where um, everybody got sacrificed. So there was just one, the, the, both of the broods weren't in play. You literally start with no broods in play. So, so you've literally got to wait. <laughs> and and um, and so I think I was, yeah, I, 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 uh, I think I was playing a, uh, a seeker. So I got the clues quick. And then I was just wandering around, just waiting for something to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't even like what the story is, where they're supposed to be rampaging. There wasn't anything rampaging on the, on the board. You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, it was this weird thing where there wasn't anything there. And I was sort of waiting for it to 
to arrive. Um, yeah, as far as you were concerned, you had dealt with all the broods because there was no evidence of them anywhere. <laughs> also, the enemies tend to get stronger as the agendas move forward. You know what I mean? So if you yeah, manage to yeah. do things relatively quickly, you get a payoff for that. Yes. In this case, uh, you, you, first of all, you have to find the script but then you could also have these situations where if you have a strong party with high willpower, you can literally be sitting around waiting for the next one to, to, to pop in. It's uh, It just doesn't quite... Or you've got the opposite where you're just overwhelmed and there's just too many of them yeah. and they're all rampaging around, which is closer to the story probably. So, yeah, I mean, in terms of them getting tougher as you go through, when you get to Act 3, they all get plus one and plus fight and evade as well uh, and that, that which might also have been boosted if the um, towering beast treacheries are out as well so they do actually they do get harder but they, they've got to actually turn up in the first place haven't they yeah yeah but they do they need to get harder this is the thing they're going to be they're by then tough, you, aren't they? uh, they, yeah and there's going to be not only are they tough you can hmm. only deal with them in a very specific way way exactly unless you've got these like you say, unless you've got the cards which are listed in Arkham DB, you know, and you've got discs of, you know, it's Amnon level twos and you've got mind wipes and things. And again, what's going to happen then is you're going to deal with them relatively quickly. And again, if you deal with them very quickly and effectively, you're going to be sitting around waiting for the next one, which gameplay wise, that's great. Story wise, that's not so great. You know what I mean? It kind of doesn't work. From a, so you get this real disconnect between you can either try and game the system from a gameplay perspective, which then leads to a narrative which doesn't kind of work, or it's more like what the narrative actually would be, but then it's really horrible because it's very, very difficult to deal with, right? And so that's probably why it's not so fun because it's you either choose to ignore the narrative and just sort of game it, or you get the right narrative, which is these horrible things are rampaging around and you're, it's almost impossible to deal with them. But then from a gameplay perspective, that's awful and you might as well just resign and hide. You know what I mean? So it leads to a very dissatisfying experience. Um, you know, or it's going to be very rare that you get a kind of a, a balance between the two, right? It feels narratively about right. And it's 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 challenging and difficult but it's not like so challenging and difficult that you just want to resign and give up <laughs> yes i'm yes. just looking at those cards listed on arkham db that mm. can directly defeat or discard them yeah. well there's only two that will there are only two that can directly defeat that's waylay and i'll see you in hell and both of those cards came out after Dunwich. So they didn't exist at the time it was it came out. So it's not as though it was built with them in mind. Uh, and then... Um, the Disc of its Amner is an instant kill. It's when a non-elite enemy spawns at your location discard and discard that enemy. Yes. So as long as they spawn at your location, they're dead. That's like an instant kill. And then kill. by discarding them, they go into the victory area, don't they? As if they were defeated. Yes, which is... Yeah, that's right. Now, now the problem with Mind Wipe is that you don't get that victory point if you use Mind Wipe. So Mind yes. Wipe yeah. is great because it means they don't have any of the text on them, so you can kill them conventionally, but then you don't get the... Uh, 
did I get the big three point? <laughs> and then dumb luck is fast play after you fail a skill test by two or less during an evasion against a non-elite enemy. Place that enemy on top of the encounter deck. So again, you're not you're not defeating him. You're just going to face him again next round. <laughs> That's what's so dissatisfying about it. It's it just there's a real disconnect between what you're trying to do in the game and what the story wants you to do or the story narrative. Yeah. Yeah. Actually just reading it again is a slight cheat using the discs of its armor and close call. Because right. the lodge the, the criteria for ending the game is if they are not in play or set aside. Right. So as soon as they enter the discard pile or get shuffled into the deck the game is over because uh, they are not in play and I they see, are not. I see. Right. That does definitely feel like a cheat, that one does. Yeah, <laughs> it just, it, it's it's sort of game, it's, it, that's the problem, it, you it end up gaming, gaming it. Yeah, yeah. Insta Resign is gaming it, that's gaming it. Um, it just, it's just a very unsatisfying, I mean, it's, it, you know, the thing is that that doesn't always feel that way. And it's rare, but in this one, you just it just feels like you know, it just it just doesn't it doesn't quite 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 work. It works yeah. really well to reflect the story, so definitely, you know, it absolutely does. But in terms of aligning that with the gameplay, a lot of the time it's just not doesn't quite work. And we found that, didn't we? When we played it again, we, I mean, I just got really tired of it because we had broods rampaging around. And the problem is, is dealing with the broods is not just the frustration of the esoteric formula, because if the esoteric formula worked from afar or something, because in the story, they don't stand near the broods, they stand on some hilltop and then they, they sort of, you know, intone the, 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 the incantation. But in this one, to actually deal with a brood, you either have to move into the location of a brood uh, and attack it, and then you're going to get hit because you're either going to have to move away and take an attack of opportunity, or you're going to have to stay there and then take some damage. I mean, they'd hit hard, right? Or you're going to have to wait for them to move on to you randomly, and then they're going to hit you, right, for damage. So... The other problem is, is that I'm not sure unless you evade them. So I guess you can move in, you can evade them and then do the the, the, the damage. But, that you know, there's this sort of weird way you're going to have to deal with them. Otherwise, you're going to take attacks of opportunity. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah, yeah. And the problem is, if you move in, that's one action. Then you've got to evade them, second action. Then you get to attack. You know what I mean? Makes them really, really difficult to deal with if you don't want to take any mm-hmm. damage because you're taking two, two, two horror, two damage. It's pretty high. Yeah. So that's the other thing that's really difficult is just trying to damage the things, particularly when you don't know where they're going to move. It's not like you can predict where they're going to I noticed on online someone was saying it would be great if you drew a random card and say it's the Watley Ruins, the, the brood then keeps moving one location at a time until it gets to the Watley Ruins. Then you draw again yeah. for where it goes yes. next. So you know its path. Um, so you can be much more, you can plan much more how you're going to deal with it, right? I guess the problem yeah, with that can, is you this. You can see the direction it's moving in. You can in. see the direction it's going to move yeah. in. I guess the problem with that is, is in the story, they're supposed to be invisible. So you're not supposed to know 
where they're going. So no, but yeah, in some of these locations, we've thrown paint on them, we've chucked sand over them. Yeah, I mean, once they get the clues on them, you know where they are, then, don't they? Because we've one of these effects. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, it is. Hmm, yeah, a frustrating scenario. <laughs> it is a very frustrating scenario, and and the problem is, it's just not not fun it's just not fun to play um and so it's um yeah you know and the problem is though if you do resign uh the consequences are quite significant because um you know for the next scenario because i think you put doom on to start with based on uh if the broods have survived or something like that there's there's some there's some consequence as well so hmm. so there we go have we have we pretty much covered the gameplay and all that i think we have uh, yeah. i guess we just need to look at the resolutions yeah the, yes the lovely resolutions yeah. yes so if we if we do somehow manage to defeat all of those rampaging brood uh so that would be resolution two after slaying what seems to be the last of the rampaging monsters, you retreat to Zebulon's home, exhausted and rattled by your experience. You log that no brood escaped, which may be important later, and you lose the powder because it doesn't serve any purpose anymore. And then you gain the victory points. Whereas if you fail, more likely, if you failed to uh, defeat all of the brood, or you resigned, or you were defeated... You did all you could to stop the rampaging monsters. Yes, I did all I could by resigning in turn one. <laughs> but there were more of them than you realised and you weren't able to slay them all. Exhausted and terrified, you retreat to Zebulon's home and hope to survive the night. So we, cre- we record that X escaped into the wild. Uh, again, you remove... And, and so, so basically there's, there's no real penalty in just skipping it and moving on other than... The potential consequences of brood having escaped. Yeah, which, which is, is in the next one. There, I think it's the very ne- yeah, yeah. So that's the main consequences. I think. Um, yes, it just affects the doom, doom at the start of the next scenario, doesn't yeah. it? That's why I thought it was quite funny when it said you did everything you could. No, I didn't. I resigned. Yes, I resigned. I, I turned one resign. <laughs> I went through all the setup. I did all the random locations, and then I just went, "No, resign. Can't have it." <laughs> so there we go there we go there is the uh there is the um undimensioned and unseen yeah yeah i think i think one of the the, the biggest hurdles on this is just the sheer amount of randomness isn't it it's random locations random versions of locations random movement within those locations random as to because of the, the locations are random it's random as to whether you get any ability to deal with those monsters that are randomly moving about. It's just, it just feels like too much randomness to make it satisfying. If there was some extra logic in there to steer those decisions as to which ones went into play and such like, I think it might be a, a more appreciated. Yeah, and on top of that, if you did really well in the previous scenario, you guess. You'll get punished. <laughs> you get a kick in the teeth. Yes. Yeah, you really do. Whereas if you did badly in the last scenario, you would find this one relatively, relatively speaking, relatively, relatively easily. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, yeah. So I, I can see, I can see why people um, aren't too fond of of this scenario. Um, and I think, um, as as we 
set out like you say there's there's a lot of things about it particularly to do with like you say the um the gameplay itself um mm. which i think in the, in an attempt to make it seem you know narratively close uh it sort of led to a it just just a, uh, doesn't doesn't quite uh work um from yes, that perspective I mean, narratively and gameplay-wise, there are some good ideas in here about the idea that you can't see the monsters until you take these specific effects, which you replicate by putting clues on them to show that, ah, now I can see where they are, and now yep. I can attack them. But it's just the practicalities don't quite gel, do they? No, they, they don't. And, I mean, to be fair, this is rare. So, you know, I can't think of any other scenarios, and I could be wrong, but I can't think of any off the top of my head that sort of, are challenging and and sort of there's a disconnect in quite the same way i think in later campaigns there's they're more challenging maybe from how the story is told and sometimes that becomes a bit sort of overwrought or kind of you know trying new things but generally the the issues that they had with the gameplay itself and to be fair this was the first campaign that very much seems to have been ironed out most of the time in in subsequent i think campaigns um but but this this one i mean to be fair this was the first campaign and so um uh, and there's nothing wrong with it being difficult i think i think this one just just uh there's just like you say there's there's some issues with it so there we go so there we are so what are we what are we looking at next time kevlin well, we're moving on to scenario six, where do we waits? We're nearly at the end of uh, of this. Is that the final? That's the final. Si- no, 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 the second no, penultimate. No, 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 one isn't... more, I think, after that, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 where do we yeah, waits? you right. time in space. Yes, so it's getting close to the end, and uh, we'll be running up the hill. We'll be doing a bit of a... Uh, oh, it's uh, that one. <laughs> I can never remember which one it is from the title. Yes, yes. We'll be taking a little yes, bit of a hike a up a hill. Bush. Yes. yes, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> You're running we up the road. Age, aren't we? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. We, we are. We are. <laughs> Will we be running up the hill backwards? That was a. That was a. Was that a David Bowie song? I think so. Yeah, showing our age. Yeah, yeah. So there we go. So I'm looking forward to that. I, I, uh, I have to say, because I've died so early in these campaigns, I tend not to know the later the last two scenarios in a lot of these campaigns because I never yeah. got that far a lot of the time. So they, it's interesting that I've tended to play them a lot less. So I'm really looking forward to uh, to having another go and then uh, ch- chatting about them. So, uh, yeah. Yes, yes, definitely. So uh, Excellent. Fantastic. Well, as always, that was that was really great. I really, even though I didn't like the scenario very much, I very much <laughs> enjoyed talking about it. And um, yes, yes. And, pulling uh, it to bits. <laughs> pulling it to bits. Yeah, that's right. It's easy for us to be critical. <laughs> oh, yes, yes. <laughs> we have to design these things. Um, but uh, anyway, um, that was brilliant. So thank you very much for uh, listening. Please like, comment and subscribe. And uh, Kevlin and I very much looking forward to chatting uh, about uh, the next scenario next time. But until then, I'm Krabby Terror 8. And I'm Kevlin. I'll see you later. Bye. Bye. Thank you very much for listening. Please like, comment, and subscribe. We'd very much like to hear from you. If you would like to um, send us your thoughts, um, send it to ftexpodcast at gmail.com. That's 
F-T-E-X-T podcast, ftextpodcast at gmail.com. You can also listen to this podcast on YouTube. Just go to Out of Ammo, Out of Time, and you will find it there. And it's also available on the usual podcast platforms, iTunes, Google Podcast, that kind of thing. So if you want to subscribe, go there. But until then, I'm Krabby Terror 8 and I'll speak to you soon. Thanks. Bye.